Good morning, Strong Tower. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that you guys are here. If you are a guest today, we want to welcome you, and we're glad that you are worshiping with us. And when you get a chance, we'd love for you to fill out a Connect card. In the meantime, stand for our call to worship. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 130, verses 8, 1 through 8. Out of the depths of out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Heavenly Father, we stand before you this morning as people that are imperfect, people that are limited and weak. We stand before you, God, as people broken. Lord, we are but sinners saved. God, you know how we have turned away from you this week. You know how we have failed you this week. You know, Father, how we have fallen short. Father, we call that to you. We repent of our sins this morning. God, help us to grow even more in our steadfast love to you. We want to grow in steadfast love toward you, Father. Would you show us and lead us in that way? In Jesus' name, amen. Our assurance of grace this morning comes from Galatians 1, verses 3 through 5. And after we consider God and confess our sins, we're reminded in Scripture that grace flows freely to those in Jesus who has faith in Jesus Christ. Hear the assurance of grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the, the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you all remain standing and worship with us this morning?
love to.
God who is more than able. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being King of kings and Lord of lords. God, we know that you are in full, total, and complete control. God, you truly are able. Father, because of that, we can wait on you. We can trust that you will be able to, to fix it, to solve it, to work it out that you would be able to, to turn it in our favor. God, we thank you for just being that kind of God. We can call on you. You are very present in our, in our pain, in our hurt, in our brokenness. Father, we will call on you. God, continue to be with us today. Lord, you, you know all that is coming this week. So, Father, we just pray that you equip us for what lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to call the eldership up to join me on the rostrum. We have one of our very own, Denar, who is graduating from RTS. Check, check. There we go. Uh, Dinar Wimborn is uh, one of the interns at our church, and uh, just like John, 
He was in our church as we're training up pastors and uh, giving them seminary training and experience in ministry. And then the goal is to raise them up and send them out. And so today we're praying for Denard as he is going uh, with his family to Oak City Church in Bartow, whichever direction Bartow is. Uh, so we're very excited about that. Oak City, come on up, Denard. We found you. That's all right. He's always serving. He's up here serving. Uh, but Denard and his family are going to Oak City, which is our church plant, uh, and so excited that he could be a part of their team and, and help them with the ministry that's going on there, and really to be in a church plant from day one, so he can see what it's like and be a part of that. And so he's excited, his family's excited, and so our elders are just wanting to pray for him. So if you guys want to pray with us, we're going to pray for Denard as he uh, makes that transition. So we're excited for you, man. And he's graduating in a few weeks from seminary. I forgot to say that part, too. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your uh, gift of grace and your calling upon all of our lives. And uh, today we pray for Denard and his calling as, as he is sensing a call to pastoral ministry and has now uh, pursued that through this training and the opportunities that he has had at our church and, and beyond our church. And now, Lord, as he takes this next step, we're praying for your blessing upon him. We're praying that your spirit would go with him and his family as they engage in ministry. Uh, Lord, may you bless them with opportunities for the gospel. May he use his gifts. May they flourish and thrive. May he be a blessing to their church and the Bartow community. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would just give him and his family an incredible uh, showering of grace, a reception from people there. Uh, they would make deep connections and fellowship that him and his wife and their kids would really uh, be planted and flourish. Lord, we just ask that you would continue to raise up more men like Denard who are called into ministry that we could raise up and send out of our church to plant churches, to pastor churches, to be missionaries and worship leaders and whatever else you may call them to. God, may you raise up the next generation and let us be a part of it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 <laughs> Thank God. I'm telling you, when you have somebody who can co-labor with you in ministry, it is a blessing. As an expression of our faith and solidarity with God's people, we confess our faith together using a tool called the New City Catechism. I will read the question out loud and everyone will respond aloud reading the answer on the screen. Question 43, what are the sacraments or ordinances? The sacraments or ordinances given by God and instituted by Christ, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper, are visible signs and seals that we are bound together as a community of faith by his death and resurrection. By our use of them, the Holy Spirit more fully declares and seals the promises of the gospel to us. Amen. All right, you all may be seated. If you are a guest today with us, we would love for you to fill out a connect card. That is that orange rectangular slip in the pocket of the chair in front of you. 
fill that out. That's how we can get connected with you. That's how we can get you plugged in to family here at Strong Towers. On the flip side of that is a place for prayer. We would like to be praying for you. If there is something that you are going to God about or something on your heart that you want us to pray for, please fill out the prayer request section on the other side of that connect card. We would love to be praying for you. And just a second, we're going to take care of our offering. But first, I want to let you know the ways that you can give. You can give online at strongtower.org slash give. You can text the amount to 84321. You can mail it in to the P.O. Box. And if you're with us in the sanctuary today, you can drop it right in the bag. Now, every week, we want to encourage you with scripture about giving. This week, we read Proverbs 11, 24, and 20, through 24 through 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the way you have set things up, the way that you have designed how we give is dependent on you. You first gave to us and modeled that. Father, will you continue to grow us in our giving? Will you continue to make us more like you? And Father, what we give, may you bless it and multiply it so that every need can be met. Lord, we know that you are able. We put what we give in your hands. Father, make it have kingdom impact here and abroad. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in the way of announcements, we have three today. Worship night is coming up. Yeah, yeah, make some noise for worship night. The worship ministry will be hosting a worship and prayer night here at 6.30 on Sunday, October 22nd. Don't forget that Sunday, October 22nd, this worship service will celebrate the Lord through music, prayer, and scripture reading. We hope to see all of you there, okay? We will also be having a congregation meeting and we're excited to announce that our recent candidates for elder, deacon, and deaconess have completed their training. And there will be a brief con congregational meeting after service on Sunday, October 29th. So our congregational meeting, that's going to be happening October 29th. And this is just to approve those candidates that have gone through and completed their training process. If you are a member... Please be in, in attendance so that you can vote. All right, our third announcement is for the Peace Community Problems Assembly. Come on, make some noise for peace. <laughs> Join Strong Tower Church and the staff at the Peace Community Problems Assembly on October 30th. October 30th at 6.30 p.m. 
It'll be in Winter Haven at Hearst Chapel. We will vote on the three topics to spend resources on mental health, education, and elder care. Join us and make sure that your vote is counted. And if you need more information about that, visit our events page and you can find more information there. In just a moment, many of our kids will be dismissed to children's ministry. That's going to be right in the building next to us here. They will be able to be taught about Jesus Christ in a safe, fun, and engaging um, atmosphere. So all of our students, infants to fifth grade, you guys are dismissed. Everyone else, please stand to your feet and continue to worship with us. Always guides me. He always guides me. Mountains and valleys do mountains and valleys. His joy is refreshing. His joy is refreshing. Restores.
and he's my comfort. Say your spirit. Your spirit lives within. So I will walk. So I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives within me. My victory. My victory. Your spirit. Your spirit lives within me. I will walk in your peace. So I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives. Your spirit lives within me. My victory. First time here, we're glad you could be here with us. I uh, want to welcome you again. Uh, my name is Ben. I don't know if I said that earlier when I was up here, so glad you could be with us today. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you want to grab your Bibles or follow along on your device or on the screens behind me, 1 Samuel 16, looking at verses 1 through 13, is what we will be at today. 1 through 13. 
And as you turn there, one more announcement, because we couldn't fit them all in. There's a lot going on this month. Uh, October 29th, which is a Sunday, that evening, we also have a gathering of our whole church planting network called Renew Polk. And so uh, we would love to have you there with us. The uh, director of church planting for our denomination for the whole country will be speaking and kind of giving the vision for our denomination for the next 10 years. And so it would be really great to have as many of our Strong Tower people there as church planting is a, uh, a vital part of our vision and, and what we believe in. And so that'll be at Trinity Presbyterian right down the street. It's like 500 yards away. Uh, it'll be, I think, at 530. Don't quote me on that, but it's on our website, so you can double check me. Uh, but I think it's 5.30 that Sunday night. We would love to have everyone who's able to make it that night. 1 Samuel chapter 16, hear the reading of God's word, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for, him, or for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointing is before, anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes with a, and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, the lowly king, the lowly king. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you have spoken to us by your Spirit in the Scriptures. And so, Lord, we receive your word today. We, we want to hear, we want to listen, and we want to do. We want to be doers of the word. So we ask that you would transform our hearts, our minds today. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, Lord, as we gather together under your word. Change us more and more into the image of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
Well, in Yosemite National Park, there stands a 3,000-foot-tall wall of granite. It's called the El Capitan. And it's long been kind of this dream for rock climbers. You may have seen it in pictures or, or maybe on a documentary uh, or something like that. You, you, you've probably seen this before. It's well known. It, it's kind of a dream place for rock climbers, but it's also a dangerous place. And in fact, in 2017, there was a uh, young man who was 33 years old. He was a rock climber who decided he was going to climb this face of granite, but he was going to do what no one else had ever done before. He was going to do what's called free solo. That means he's going to climb it with no equipment, no ropes, no safety nets, nothing but him and the rock. That's it. He's going to climb the face of this 3,000-foot-tall slab of granite that is almost flat at at, at most points. I mean, you you really have to know what you're doing. In fact, this guy, he, he was an experienced rock climber. He had been uh, climbing professionally for over 20 years. He, he knew so much, and yet even with all his experience and expertise, he still had to train specifically for this climb. He spent, get this, two years training for just this climb. Two years. And in order to do that and to give enough time for it to make sure he didn't lose his life, because at one point, I mean, he was holding on by just his thumbs a thousand feet above the ground. I mean, that's the kind of danger he's about to enter into. And so he, he knew if he's going to give it the time it needed, he had to make drastic decisions and choices. And so one of those was he was going to live out of a van. So for two years, he, he retrofitted a van to where he could live out of the van at the bottom of this, this place where he's climbing. And he lived there with very little, just what would fit in his van. And this is what he said about that decision. He said, an intent, it was an intentional choice to prioritize my vocation. He said this, I want to climb in the best places. And so I'm willing to give up having stability, having a shower, having whatever, in order to climb the way that I want to climb. I have made clear choices about what I find value in, what risks I'm willing to take. I'm doing exactly what I love to do. I mean, you might listen to that, and this guy's name is Alex Honnold. You might listen to Alex and say, that sounds extreme. I would never do that. I would never climb it, and let alone I wouldn't live in a van for two years if I didn't have to. Like, why would I not take a shower? Why, why would I live like that if I didn't have to? And so he's, he's saying that this is my choice. Even though you may think it's extreme, it says something about my priorities. Because our choices, for all of us, They reveal something about us, right? Your choices speak to who you are. Your choices reveal something about your character. I mean, what do your choices say about you? Think about all the choices you make in in your life and and just daily choices. They they may be big choices. They may be small choices, big choices like where do you send your kids to school or small choices like where do I park my car or, you know, what do I do with my haircut at the next hair uh, place that I go to or whatever. I don't know what you guys do with your hair, but, but you know, what what do I do uh, when, when I'm making dinner or all, all these different decisions, Big decisions, small decisions, and each one of those decisions says something about you. It says something about what you value. It says something about who you are. Now, ask yourself, what do my decisions say about me? 
But what's even more fascinating is what do God's decisions say about him? What, what do God's decisions reveal about his character? Because when God makes decisions, he doesn't just make random decisions. He makes decisions that reflect who he is. And so he chooses based on who he is. Now, we're continuing this series through the book of 1 Samuel. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the, the outworking of Israel's decisions. Israel had made a choice. They, they came to God or they came to Samuel and asked Samuel to talk to God about, hey, we, we want a king. We're tired of not having a king. We want a king like the nations. And so they asked for a king like the nations, and they get exactly what they asked for. They get Saul, who is selfish and fearful and neglectful of God. They get exactly what they asked for. They say, we want a king like the nations. And God says, all right, here you go. Here's what you asked for, and now we're watching that fall apart for the, fa- for the uh, past few chapters. And now Samuel goes to Saul, and he says, God is going to remove you as king, and he's going to put in another king. But this time, it's going to be his choice. So the people got their choice, and the people's choice revealed something about them. It reveals something about what they desire and what they value and what they think is important. And now God says, I'm going to make my choice and it's going to reveal something about me. It's going to reveal something about who I am and I don't want you to miss it. Because what God does comes from who he is. So what does it reveal? What does his choice reveal about him? That's what I want to look at today in our time together. Let's, let's look first at the heart, the heart. So if you're taking notes, the first point is the heart. Look at verse one. The story begins like this. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now in chapter 15, we left off with darkness. I mean, everyone is grieving, including Samuel. Samuel is grieving over the fact that Saul has been rejected. Because think about from Samuel's perspective, Saul represented the kingship and and the kingdom. He represented all that Samuel had prayed for, all that Samuel had worked for. And now it seems like it's crumbling down. And so Samuel is grieving, but God comes to Samuel and he says, look, I understand your grief, but it's time to move on because you're acting like this kingdom is Saul's kingdom. You're acting like I can't control or, 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 or order my own kingdom, and in fact, I've already chosen his replacement. He says it in the past tense. He says, I've already provided for myself a king among this place. And so he says, I want you to go grab some anointing oil, I want you to go to Jesse's house in Bethlehem. And, and, and Samuel says, well, wait a minute. I can't go there and, and tell people that I'm trying to anoint the next king. When Saul hears about that, he, he's going to be so angry, he's going to kill me. Like, this sounds like a death mission, God. How about we come up with a different plan? And God says, okay, here, here's the plan. You're going to say that we're going to have a, a worship service. We're, we're going to have a little sacrifice with some festivities and a party. And you're going to invite everyone there. And while they're at the festivities, you're going to anoint the one that I tell you. And so Samuel says, okay, I'll, I'll go with that, right? I'll, I'll go with that plan. It doesn't sound as dangerous. So he goes to Bethlehem. He shows up. And what's interesting is right off the bat, everyone's paranoid. 
It says they're frightened because Samuel shows up. And it, it's kind of like, you know, if, if the pastor shows up, you, you often get this as pastors. It's a little sidebar. You either get people excited or nervous. Because you're either excited to see the pastor because something good has happened, or you're nervous because maybe you're in trouble. And so Samuel shows up, and Bethlehem's wondering, have we done something wrong? Samuel doesn't usually come to the little town of Bethlehem. He doesn't come to this seemingly insignificant place. And so Samuel assures them, no, 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 you're not in trouble. I come in peace. He says, we're here to have a little worship service. And so he says, I want you to gather everybody together. We're going to sacrifice, but I want to consecrate everyone for the worship service. And so he tells Jesse to bring his family. We're going to consecrate your sons. And so Jesse brings his sons to the festivities, and Samuel responds as soon as he sees his family arriving. Look at verse 6. It says, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. In other words, he sees, Sam, or he sees uh, Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, and he thinks to himself, now there's a king. There's a king that everyone else would pick, because look at Eliab. I mean, we, we don't really get a description of him, but you can imagine by Samuel's response, he must have been kingly material. He must have been whatever, whatever you define as like the, the hunk of manhood, Right, he's like 6'3", 225 pounds, muscles, and bright and brilliant. He plays 10 instruments, speaks five languages. I don't know. Whatever you think is the, the best man you could imagine, that's Eliab. He's got a good job. Right? He, he's that guy. And as soon as you know, Samuel's in the middle of his celebration within himself that he had found the king, God rebukes him. Look at what he says. He says in verse 7, he says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In other words, Samuel is, is sitting there adoring him, saying, We found him already. This was quick. And God says, No, I've... I've rejected him. Why? God says, because you and I are looking at this situation completely differently. You and I are, are looking at it differently. He, he's saying, people like you, Samuel, they look at appearance. And I look at the heart. Now, what, what does he mean by the heart? Well, when the Bible talks about the heart... It's not talking about your, your biological heart, and it's not just talking about your emotional life, and it's not even just talking about your desires. In fact, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's really talking about the core of who you are. It's really talking about, uh, one person described it as the animating center of all we do. In other words, your heart is that place within, it's, it's that, that aspect of you that defines who you are. It's, it's not just a part or a piece of who you are, it really is the essence of who you are. And so your heart is the inward life that, that then comes out in your outward life. It's the very essence of your being, and this is where God says, I am looking there. I am looking at your heart. In other words, say it like this, God cares about who we are, not how we appear. God cares about who we are, not how we appear. 
And that is so countercultural, not just in Samuel's day, but today where we're in, in such an image-driven culture and maybe more than any other time in human history has outward appearance mattered the most. Where, I mean, literally because of social media, we can now all have our own personal brand. And some of you, you're not on social media and, and even that's a choice. Like, that's your brand. I, I don't want to be on social media. I don't want to be a part of that nonsense or that drama or whatever, because that's who you are. And you want people to know, I'm not a part of that. But those who are on it, you know, the temptation is to try to, to, to carefully cultivate and craft who you are online. You know, your bio is, is just right. Your, your pictures are just right. And, and you post things about, you know, things that matter to you or, or the people that matter to you or the persona that you want to give off. And, and it's not just us. It's, it's the people we follow, too, right? If, if you follow somebody who's got a business or a platform or, or a celebrity or something like that, they are carefully crafting that profile. They probably have multiple people who get paid good money to craft that profile. Because there's such an image-driven impulse in our culture that whatever we look like on the outside is what people think we are on the inside. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with outward appearance, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the danger that God is pointing out here is when outward appearance becomes everything. When it becomes everything, now it's trouble. Because people are, are never how they fully appear outwardly. Never, whether that's online or in person, all the people in your life, they, they are not fully who they are on the outside as they are on the inside. All of us have things that, that don't match up. All of us have things below the surface, below the waterline of the iceberg. All of us are, are holding back just a little bit because it's just it's that difficult to fully express who we are. But the real problem is when we fool ourselves into thinking, we're somebody different than who we really are. The, prob the real problem is when we fooled ourselves into thinking who we are on the outside is really who we are. On the outside, we look like we got it all together in our parenting. Outwardly, we look like we got it all together in our marriage. Outwardly, it looks like we got it all together in our ministry or in our, our leadership or, or in our friendships at our work or, or wherever it is. Outwardly, it looks like we have it all together. People might even look at us and say, ah, Eliab, he's the one, she's the one. This is the person we've been waiting for. And so outwardly, we're impressive, but inwardly, we're a mess. We're a mess. And I want you to hear today, before we move on, God cares about who you are, not how you appear. Not how you appear. God is looking at our hearts at the very core of who we are, the very essence of our being, the, the animating center that, that makes possible everything that we do, all the choices, all the decisions, everything outwardly, it comes from who we are on the inside. And what God is looking at is who you are inwardly, the place where no one else is looking, the place where no one else is even aware or considering. God is looking there. Now, the question is, when he looks there... What's he looking for? What's he looking for? If, if the heart is the place that he looks, what's he looking for in our heart? And this is where we go next. Let's look at the humble. This is the second point. Look at verse 10. Story goes on like this. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, 
The Lord hath not chosen these. Now, after the Lord rejects Eliab, Jesse says, okay, well, let's go down the line, right? And so you can almost imagine Jesse as, as the father of this family. He, he lines up all his sons, tallest to shortest, and he says, okay, what do you think about this one? What do you think about this one? What do you think about this one? And so Samuel is going down the line. He gets to Abinadad and he says, nope, the Lord has not called that one. And then he gets to Shammah and, then, and the Lord says, nope, not that one either. And they go down the line one by one through all seven sons, and all of them, the Lord says, this is not the one I've picked. None of these are my choice. And so when he gets to the end, Samuel's thinking to himself, well, I know I heard you, Lord. I know I heard you that you said the king was going to come from Jesse's sons. And so it doesn't seem to be matching up, yeah. right? God's promise and his provision don't seem to be making sense. And so Samuel turns to Jesse and he says the only thing logical in verse 11, he says, are all your sons here? And Jesse says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we're not going to sit down until he comes here. Right? Samuel says, this is urgent. It's almost like the, the youngest son is completely forgotten. Completely forgotten. He, he's not even invited. Think about this. He's not even invited to the party. He's not even invited to the festivities, to the worship service. He's not even in the room. He's out doing his chores. He's taking care of the sheep. He's back at the house doing what his father told him to do. He wasn't even considered as an option because he was the youngest. He was the insignificant one. He's a lowly shepherd boy where his older brothers, we'll find out next week, that his older brothers were, were strong warriors. These are the kind of guys that you would assume that they might be the king. And yet here's this younger brother who just hangs out with the sheep. A little shepherd boy, last in line, least likely to be picked. And God says, that's the one. That's the one right there. In verse 12, he says this to Samuel, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Him? Really? Really, God, this is the one you pick? In, in Hebrew, the, the word there, you might even have a footnote in your Bible, for youngest literally means smallest. God, you're going to pick the smallest one to be the king? You're going to pick the one who, who no one else would pick? Now, contrast for a moment what, what happens in Israel's pick. When Israel chose a king, remember, they asked for a king, and God gives them Saul, and, and they ask for Saul, and Saul is described in chapter 9 as the tallest man among all of Israel. So you've got the tallest person in all of Israel, and now you have the smallest son in Jesse's family. Do you see the contrast? They, they couldn't be different in their choosing. They, Israel picks the one who everyone would say, yeah, he's kingly material, and God chooses the one that everyone says, no chance. No chance. In fact, it's really Hannah's song playing out again throughout the book. If you remember when we started this series, Hannah's story is the story of Israel all throughout the book. And, and Hannah was this barren woman who had been forgotten and pushed to the side and marginalized and, and no one believed that she had a future. And then God shows up and gives Hannah a son. And that son is Samuel. This is Samuel's story. And Hannah, when Samuel is born, she sings. And this is what she sings. She says, the bows of the mighty are broken. But the feeble bind on strength. The Lord brings low 
and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. In other words, Hannah's song is this song of an upside-down kingdom. And now it's happening. And we see it just like this. God rejects the proud, but he receives the humble. God rejects the strong, but he receives the weak. Jesus was trying to uh, get us to understand this, trying to get his disciples to understand this in his ministry. And uh, as he's nearing the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus is, as usual, teaching and preaching and, and helping the crowds. And, and the crowds are starting to swell. They're starting to build. And, and uh, the crowds are coming to Jesus at this point, asking Jesus to bless their children. Do you remember that story? They're coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, we want you to pray for our children. We want you to bless our children. I mean, this is a man who taught with authority and power and grace, and he's healing people. He's loving people. He's, he's breaking barriers. And so they're thinking, we want him to pray for our children. And when they bring Jesus the children, what happens? The disciples rebuke the children. The disciples say, no, 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 no. You, you got to get out of here. You, you got to get out of here. Why do they do that? Because in our culture, you know, we, we tend to think kids are cute and nice and sweet, and, and we, we, we may even idolize children a little bit, depending on your, your culture. In their culture, that was never a temptation. In their culture, kids were, were at best a nuisance. They, they, they were loud and obnoxious and rude and always asking questions and always needing something. They're always weak. Sound familiar? Yeah, just like us, right? And so when, when they see the kids, they think they're going to be a nuisance to Jesus. And Jesus then rebukes them. And he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Here it is. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you and I are, are looking at this differently. Just like, just like God is telling Samuel, you and I are, are looking at this differently. You, you are trying to receive the strong and reject the weak. And I'm doing the exact opposite. I will receive the weak and reject the strong because my kingdom, my kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. I'm, I'm looking in a different place, and I'm looking for something different than you look for. Some people try to misuse the phrase, uh, let me try to break this down for you, God knows my heart, right? God, God knows my heart. You ever said that before or heard someone say that before? And, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's a misuse. Here's why, because people say that usually as a defense for something outwardly that they've done that they then want to defend inwardly, Right? So maybe you've made a mistake or you, you've said something wrong or, or you just really blew it and you're like, well, God knows my heart. Like I had good intentions, I, I, I was trying to do my best, I was, I was really uh, you know, praying about it, whatever. You know, God knows my heart. And, and, and the attempt there is to try to say, outwardly I look bad, but inwardly, trust me, I'm, I'm better than I look like. You're missing the point. The point is not, if I look bad outwardly, I need to somehow find a way to make myself look good inwardly. That's the exact opposite. Like, th this is what's happening. When God looks at your heart, he isn't looking for strength. He's looking for weakness. 
When God looks at your heart, he's not looking for pride in, in how good you actually are compared to what people think about you. When he looks at your heart, what he's looking for is humility. He's looking for the childlike. Listen, God chooses the childlike. God chooses the smallest. He chooses the insignificant. He chooses the overlooked, the marginalized, the failures, the screw-ups. The defining characteristic of his kingdom is people don't, don't believe that they should be there. The defining characteristic of the childlike are people who know that they are unworthy, people that know they are weak, not strong, know that they are humble, not proud, know that they have no business even being at the facility, no business even being in the lineup. And yet they know that God went to say, I, I, I want you to go find the one I'm looking for. They're not in the room, but they should be right here. God says, the person that belongs in my kingdom is, is the person who I look at their heart and it's humbled by its mess. See, when God looks at your heart, what, what does he find? If he finds a mess, I want you to be encouraged. If he finds uh, brokenness, be encouraged. If he finds weakness, be encouraged. Because what, what he's saying here is, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. If God looks at your heart and he finds someone who's self-deceived and proud and arrogant and, and doesn't think there's any problem, that's where you should be concerned. But if he, if he looks at your heart and you say, you know what, I'm a complete mess, I'm a disaster, I'm a hot mess, that's what he's looking for. That's, that's where the kingdom is. This is what he says. He says, this is the one. This is the one. I've been waiting for him. I've been waiting for her. This is the one. See, there's no reason to defend yourself. There's no reason to, to hide or pretend because he loves the humble. He's looking for the humble. He chooses the humble. And so listen, he looks at your heart. When he looks at your heart, he's looking for humility. And if he finds humility, what's our hope? This is the last point. What's the hope for the humble? The hope. Look at verse 13. It ends like this. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. This is the first time in the whole book, amazingly, you hear David's name. Finally, David's name appears. And in fact, even in this story, it's delayed. The story doesn't start off with, and David, the youngest son of Jesse, and then tell the story, right? It holds off all the way till the end of the story, as if it's trying to make David seem even smaller than he really is. They just kind of throw in his name at the very end. But here's David, the one who's chosen, who we've been waiting for, that's been hinted at, the man after God's own heart. And when he's chosen, he's anointed. Now, in Israel, their kings were not crowned, they were anointed with oil. And so God told Samuel, he says, take a horn of oil and I want you to dump it on David's head to signify by the oil that he is my king. In fact, the word uh, Messiah in Hebrew means the anointed one. And then it gets translated in Greek in the New Testament as Christ. And Christ means the anointed one. It's, it's a kingly term. It means that you, you've been anointed and now you, you, you are a king. You are a ruler and a reigner. You have authority and power. And so he's saying about David, this is my Messiah, my Christ, my kingly figure. 
Now, of course, David's anointing points to a greater anointed one, Jesus, the son of David, who would be the ultimate, the true and better king, right? Of course, Jesus would become the fulfillment of what's happening here in this moment. But the question I want to sit on for a moment before we close is this. When Jesus comes as king, as the son of David, what's his heart like? What's his heart like? In all the four Gospels, there's, there's four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters of Jesus' life where Jesus is able to express himself and, and God in flesh is speaking to us. There's only one point in Jesus' life where he reveals to us his heart. And it's in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says these words, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here it is. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I am gentle and lowly in heart. The, the only time that Jesus speaks like this, Dane Ortland in his book, uh, Gentle and Lonely, titled after this passage, says this. He says, in the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is, his very heart, we're not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We're not told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that he's joyful and generous in heart. When we let Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Think about that. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, fully man, pulls back the curtain and he says, this is what my heart is like. This is the heart of God speaking to you and it's gentle and lowly. Jesus is saying, my life, all that I do flows from this heart. The center of my being comes from a heart that is gentle and lowly, humble. See, God, this is how God works. God becomes lowly to save the lowly in the person of Jesus. Jesus' incarnation is his choice that reveals his character. He becomes lowly, get this, because he actually is lowly. That's who he is. He does what's in his heart. He comes lowly in the same town of Bethlehem where David was. He comes lowly in the manger. He comes lowly among the shepherds. He comes lowly as a carpenter. He comes lowly as a friend to the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the Samaritans, the disabled, the imprisoned, the adulterers, the forgotten, the despised. He came lowly. As a king whose only robe was a robe of mockery. He came lowly as a king whose only crown was made of thorns. He came lowly as a king whose people rejected him, and yet nonetheless he would die for him. He came lowly to save the lowly because that's the heart of our humble Savior. And in this king's kingdom, only the lowly are led in. Only the lowly are invited in and received. Not the proud, but the humble. Not the exalted, but the lowly. Not the strong, but the weak. That's his kingdom. Charles Spurgeon, uh, and I'll close with this. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Christ is always born in Bethlehem among the little ones. Big hearts never get Christ inside of them. Christ lives not in great hearts, but in little ones. Mighty and proud spirits never have Jesus Christ, for he comes in at low doors, but he will not come in at high ones. He who has a broken heart and a low spirit 
shall have the Savior, but none else. He is the Christ of the little ones, of the little ones. It's of the little ones, the lowly ones, the forgotten ones. Jesus says, that's the one I choose. Do you need to embrace him this morning in, in Jesus' gentle and lowly heart? Because Jesus is inviting you. When he says this about his heart, what he says is, come to me, all you who are weary. Whether you're exhausted by life or exhausted by your sin or exhausted by whatever, he says, come to me because I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to turn you away if you come to me as lowly. If you come to me saying, I, I am needy, I am childlike, I, I am exhausted by life because I need you, Jesus. He says, well, now our hearts match because my heart is lowly. My heart is gentle and I'll receive you. But that's what it means to come to Jesus. You're coming to Jesus with your need. You're coming to Jesus with, with not all the answers, with not all your strength, with not all your effort. You're coming to Jesus saying, you're gentle and lowly. And I need you. I need you. Let's pray. Come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your heart is for us. Your heart is gentle towards us. Your heart is lowly, down in the depths where we are. Where we find ourselves maybe in our despair or our depression where we find ourselves in our sins and our struggles in our fears and anxieties lord you lower yourself down to the depths as a lowly king the smallest lord just to think that you you became so small you're you're, you're a tiny little embryo born of a woman born into this world of wretched sin so that you could save the lowest, the smallest, the humblest. Oh, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would do just that. May your heart that's gentle and lowly overflow in this place. May your spirit call us to commune with you, to come to you. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet this morning as we close. As we sing our final song, I'm going to invite our prayer team up front, and the prayer team will also be in the back. Um, if you would like us to pray for you this morning, anything that's on your heart or something that maybe as you came in here you were thinking about and wanting prayer for, or maybe something that was in the message, whatever it is this morning, we would love to be praying for you. And you can be uh, invited up here in the front or in the back as we sing this last song to be prayed for. Let's sing together. My shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. He goes before me. He goes before me. Defender behind. Defender behind me. I won't fear. With anointing. I'm filled with anointing. My cup's overflowing. My cup's overflowing. 
weapon can harm me. Hallelujah, I am not alone.
we dismiss, a few reminders. If you didn't get a chance to fill out a Connect card, we would love to be praying for you or uh, connect with you if you're new around here. So you could do that. Drop it in the back on your way out. We would love to connect with you. Also, if you signed up for the new members class, it is today right next door in the gym. So once the kids are dismissed, uh, you can enter into the gym and uh, we'll have class next door with lunch and everything. So if you sign up for that, it'll be right next door if you're asking where that is, okay? Now, if your faith is in Christ, hear the benediction as he sends us out with his grace and favor in the good news of Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace. Love you all.